we're going to talk about because we don't like being stuck in cycles. We just don't like it. And so here's Israel. They've been led by Moses out of Egypt. They've been led out away from Pharaoh. They've, they've, they've crossed the Red Sea. They've, they've endured uh, 40 years in the wilderness. They've endured just eating manna day after day after day. And finally, they enter the promised land. Finally, they enter the promised land. And Joshua gathers everybody together. At the very end of the book of Joshua, he gathers everyone together. And he says, look, we're about to enter this land where God is to be our God. This land where nobody else, nothing else is supposed to have any dominance in our life. God is who we're supposed to serve. In fact, then we get to that great passage, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He lays it out for him. He tells him, keep God first. Focus on God. But then we get to the book of Judges and we find out that that's not what happened. The book of Judges is all about this time when Israel didn't have a king. There was supposed to be what's called a theocracy. God was supposed to be the supreme ruler. Nobody else was supposed to rule over them. They were just supposed to be dedicated to God and the rules that he had given them the laws that he had established for his people because they were good. But there's a shift in focus. There's a shift in focus. And we need to understand how a shift in focus affects us. So what I'd like you to do is stare at the cross. Now hold up one finger in front of your face, but don't look at your finger, look at the cross. Now look at your finger. Suddenly the cross is blurry. Suddenly we're not focused on the cross. There's a distortion. You see, when you focus on something you're not supposed to focus on, what you should be focused on gets blurred. And so shifting focus always results in a blur. Look at Judges chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. They had shifted their focus by taking their eyes off of God and focusing on these other gods, these small G gods, these gods that couldn't deliver. But just to show you that it really is a problem, in Exodus chapter 20, that section I read to the children, we see the command. Beginning in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. God demanded absolute loyalty. God demanded absolute loyalty. You say, well, well, why? Why does he need absolute loyalty? He's God. He can have whatever he wants. What he really wants is absolute loyalty because it means absolute dependence on him. He said, this is the land I'm giving you, and if you will depend on me... I will take care of everything. He demanded absolute loyalty. 
And so by looking to the Baals, the gods who offered fertility and agricultural success, the Israelites denied God the loyalty that he was due. He couldn't be for them the God he wanted to be. They wouldn't accept him as their God. And you know, we shift focus in that same way when we focus on other things. You say, well, why do we do that? Because I'm gonna go with the basic understanding that we all think God is good and God means good for us. God's plan is good. So why do we shift our focus? It's because we like to be happy. It's because we like to be happy. Have you ever found church, and this it's okay to be honest because I'm lumped in, in here too. Have you ever found church boring? Have you ever found reading your Bible to be tedious, the easiest way to fall asleep? Have you ever found worship music unexciting, unmoving? Or Bible studies and classes a snooze fest? Or maybe you found that God's way of doing things wasn't popular or it wasn't easy, or it wasn't your first choice. Ever fallen into that category? If you've ever felt that way, then you join millions of Christians, myself included, who have the wrong expectation for God. We have the wrong expectation for God. We expect God to make us happy, and when he doesn't meet our expectations, we get unhappy. And surely God doesn't want us to be unhappy. Surely that can't be what God's after. He wants us to be happy, right? We say, no, that's not true. We say, no, we know that's not the case. Finish this for me. Money can't buy. And yet, what do we do to make ourselves happy? We buy things. We buy physical things, little things, big things, Uh, we buy experiences, vacations, all sorts of things with the goal of being happy. But when our ultimate goal is our own happiness, we've shifted our focus. When our ultimate goal is our own happiness, we've shifted our focus. We fail to realize that God is not all about making us happy. God is not all about making us happy. And that might not sit well at first. God is not all about making us happy. Because if your happiness is truly God's goal for you, couldn't he make some miraculous bubble of just goodness that covers you every day of your life? Sure he could. He's God. He could make you happy if that's what he wanted you to be. But his goal is not to make us happy. It's better than that. His goal is to make us holy, sanctified, set apart. James Allman is a Bible teacher that most likely you've never heard of. He is a quiet man, a humble man, but he is a powerful Bible teacher. And the young men's group is currently going through one of his studies on Genesis. And he says this about the topic. Holiness is the object for which God will sacrifice everything else. Brothers and sisters, God's goal for your life is not to make you happy and not to make you successful, certainly not to make you comfortable. God's purpose in your life is to make you like Christ. I know the will of God for you. It is to be like Christ. And if where you are, you are becoming like Christ, you are in the right place. If what you're doing, you're doing becoming like Christ, you're in the right place. He will sacrifice anything and everything for holiness. He even sacrificed his son. 
the Israelites weren't focused on holiness. Even though God called them his people, his chosen people, his set apart people, they weren't focused on being holy. They were focused on self. The Israelites wanted their own glory, their own success. And so they turned to Baal because they thought it was a quick fix. The same way we turn to other things because we think it's a quick fix. They turned aside from remembering what God had done and focused on their own desires. And so they could never become who God wanted them to be because their focus was on something less than God. Psalm 115 illustrates this. Beginning in verse four. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Idols are powerless. Idols are powerless. They look like they can do something. They look like something that actually can do something. But in reality, they can do nothing. They have mouths that can't speak. They have noses that can't smell. Eyes, but they can't see. And then verse 8. Those who make them will become like them. You are what you worship. You are what you worship. And if you're worshiping a God who can't deliver, you will never deliver. You'll never reach the goal. Those idols are lifeless. They give temporary excitement, temporary gain. But when the rubber meets the road, you're left with a human creation and not a God-given life and reward. Worshiping an idol is always settling for less than the best. Worshiping an idol is always settling for less than the best. This is an interesting idea because on one hand, we know that yes, it's true. On the other hand, we know that it's kind of hard to live out. We know that it's true, but it's pretty difficult to live out. So I want to look at the very end of Judges. The very end of Judges. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Remember in the beginning, it says they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And now at the end of the book, in verse 25, it says, in those, day, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What we see from the story of Judges is if you focus on the wrong thing long enough, it'll start to seem right to you. It will start to seem right focus on the wrong thing long enough, you will convince yourself it is the right thing. Israel went from doing evil in the eyes of the Lord to doing what was right in their own eyes. There's something else about idols we need to recognize. Just because you're sitting here thinking you don't have a problem doesn't mean you don't have a problem. It is far easier for me to look at you and tell you what your idols are than it is for me to look at myself and identify mine. You see, that's how God actually began working in me for this sermon. 
I was on Facebook and I kept seeing over and over again this idea that, that sports are attacking the church, that sports are an idol in our culture, and I certainly agree they are. But pointing out somebody else's idols without recognizing our own is not the point. What really caught my attention was research by George Barna, a respected research um, organization. They had done in-depth studies and they found that the leading cause of kids leaving the faith in college is not college. It's because growing up, they saw over and over again the faith and the church sacrificed on the altar of sports. I read that. I can agree that that's probably true. But it's not the whole story because we all have an altar on which we sacrifice our faith. What's your idol? If you have trouble identifying it, ask somebody. Ask somebody in your family. What do you spend your time doing? It could be money. It could be working out. It could be a family, your job, education, video gaming. It could be empty religion and traditions. It could be church. It could be vacation. It's, it's whatever rules your schedule, whatever rules your wallet, whatever rules your thought life. If it's anything other than God, it's an idol. And we hate to hear it because we've gotten it wrong for so long. We've convinced ourselves we're right. We've convinced ourselves there's nothing wrong with the way we're running our lives. We don't like to be wrong. Because after all, if we're right, we don't need to change. If we're right, we don't need to change. Why would we want to change? The rest of chapter two is a foreshadowing of what's going to come in the book of Judges. It's what we're gonna talk about in that study that begins next Sunday. It's looking at how the Israelites uh, deal with the things God is trying to rid them of. And so in Judges chapter two, verses 14 and 15, we see him starting the process because he had told them, I need to be first. I need to be first. Joshua had told them that. But then suddenly Joshua died. Their fathers, the people who had experienced coming out of the wilderness, they died. Suddenly the people who had witnessed God's deliverance were no longer around and the people were left to live for themselves choose for themselves who they would serve. So chapter two, verse 14, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that, the, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. They experienced a reality that was different from what God intended because they chose to ignore his promise. They chose to ignore his promise and seek their own reality. It's like us. We may have a Bible sitting somewhere on a shelf and we say, I know the Bible says not to do this. Or I know the Bible says I ought to do that. But I'm going to get my own reality. I want to do what looks good to me. 
God had told them. God had told them back in Exodus what would happen. Back to verse four again. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, if you, if you, if you try me, if you don't believe my commandments, if you're not gonna live a life according to my commandments, this is what's gonna happen. But if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, I will show my loving kindness to those who love me. He doesn't trick them. He laid it out for him. He told him exactly what he would do. God promised faithfulness, yet they settled for futility. That continued all the way through the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it today. We take out our smartphones. We see it there. God promises faithfulness, and we settle for futility. And that's a pretty depressing message. If I were to end there, that would be pretty depressing. But even in the midst of them turning from God, God did not give up on them. God did not give up on them. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. God saw they weren't listening. And so he raised up these people who were supposed to bring them back so that they could be delivered from those who had plundered them, so they could be delivered from the consequences of these bad situations. So often, people that aren't familiar with the Bible think the Old Testament is just about a God of vengeance and, and wrath. But it's about a God who longingly, longingly seeks after his people. He longingly cares for those who are his. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of mercy. And if that word jealous in that Exodus passage where it said he's a jealous God, if that throws us, we need to understand the reason he's jealous is not because it's you know, some other God getting the attention. It's because he knows he can provide what's best. He knows he can provide what's best for us. That's why he's jealous for us because he wants the best for us. God is merciful. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. And he shows the Israelites he is full of mercy. But remember what we said. It's hard to admit when you're wrong. Hard to change your ways. Hard to face the reality. And so, unfortunately, the next verses tell us that they still gave up on God. God raised up these, these judges and they still gave up on him. God told them to take the land they were going into. He said, you're going into the land of Canaan. I want you to remove the Canaanites because we have no business being with these other people. You are my people. You are the people I will bless. Joshua had taken them into the promised land, but he didn't get rid of all the enemies. And the Bible says that's because God wanted to test the in upcoming generations. He wanted to see if they really believed what their fathers believed, see if they would continue being devoted to him. 
Instead, we see what happens in Judges 3, verses 4 through 6. It said that he left these people in the land. They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. God told them what to do. They didn't do it. God showed them mercy. And they still didn't obey him. It's such a hard cycle to break. So what we realize is losing our focus rarely has a happy ending. Losing our focus rarely has a happy ending. We just get so accustomed to that temporary happiness that we miss out on any long-term holiness. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Because that's where this section of scripture ends. What do we do? We do exactly what God has been calling for since back in Exodus. We do exactly what he called for. You shall not worship idols or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. But we rest in his promise that he will show loving kindness to thousands, to those who love him and keep his commands. I want you to stand up. I want you to hold up that finger again. Stare at your finger this time. Now look to the cross. When God, when Christ comes into focus, we will experience his loving kindness and everything else will fall back into place. We'll experience his holiness. We'll be a holy people set apart and sanctified. Sing this with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is a clear directive for us this morning. It's to turn to you. It's to recognize where we haven't been obeying you. It's to recognize what we've put before you. Reveal that to us. Reveal it to us. And then embolden us to make the changes we need to make to experience your loving kindness, to experience your goodness. We've already experienced your mercy, and we're so thankful for that. Help us to lead lives that honor you and nothing else before you. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.